Hey there, folks, and welcome once again to the Great Stories Podcast. I'm your host for the show, Ryan Weber. I'm so glad you decided to listen today. This podcast is a long-format interview-style program where I sit across the table from another amazing human being, and we all just kind of get to know who they are. We hear the, the highs of their life, the lows of their life, just what has gone into making them who they are. But most importantly, we hear about how they came to know Christ and what it looks like in the context of their real everyday life to be a follower of him. Uh, These interviews are not scripted. They're not rehearsed. There's no editing that goes on. It's just a conversation. And you get to sit on the third side of this table. And I'm so glad you do. My prayer every time we do this is that uh, as you hear Uh, about someone's life and who Jesus is to them and what he's done in their life and just their journey that you would be uh, encouraged in every way. That if if you don't know Christ, that your interest would be piqued to know him further. And if you already do know him, that you would fall further in love with the person who loves you the most already. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, uh, you can support the show. There's a couple ways to do that. Uh, The best way you can do it is by sharing it. If you hear something that reminds you of someone else, uh, be that person that sends somebody a link and says, hey, you got to hear this. (laughs) I think you would like this. Uh, You can also support the show just by giving it a thumbs up, by a like, uh, or by making a comment on the the video, or or not the video, the audio of this thing. And that just helps it show up quicker as people are looking for uh, podcasts to listen to. And of course, if you would like to support the show financially, there's options to do that. You can go to patreon.com and just search for the entire name, The Great Stories Podcast. Uh, Not trying to get rich. It's just nice if these kind of things pay for themselves. But I'm willing to do it out of pocket because I like doing it. It's fun. And I think it's worth doing. Um, Like I've said, I think for every person that I talk to at this table, there's probably a thousand more just like them who will be blessed to hear what these people have to say. And today's show is uh, no exception to that. Uh, I'm talking to a a gentleman that I met uh, probably six years ago or so, uh, who's had just an interesting journey uh, becoming in ministry, going through seminary and, and working at a couple different churches. And then finally now actually deciding to plant a church in the Bay Area in San Jose called Quicksilver Church uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. So everyone who thinks that God took a break during the pandemic is wrong because he's still moving and leading guys like this to actually take the steps to, to do something crazy and risky and plant a church. Uh, we just had a lot of great conversation. It was a good time uh, catching up with him. Haven't seen him in a couple of years. And uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Pastor Fred Mock as much as we enjoyed recording it. Here we go. It's official. Took a minute to get this together, like most of a year, <laughs> but that's okay. We did it. it. We did it. It happens. Sometimes it takes a minute. Yeah. 
So, uh, what are you doing? I, I know nothing about your life for the last two years at least. Uh, but even then before that, not enough, I feel. So, get, like, catch me up on, like, what are you doing right now? Yeah, so we planted a church back in September. We planted a pandemic church. Wow. In Garden City. It's in San Jose, where I'm yeah. from. Okay. And we started meeting over Zoom. And now we're meeting at a park. And we have some life groups. And it's been quite a ride. That's awesome. And we're going to keep meeting at a park. We do some sports after church. And yeah. We're doing an alpha program, and so yeah, we've got some some cool things going on. But it's been um, it has not been a smooth ride. No, but not for any church or pastors in this time. It's been pretty crazy. Yeah. So is the plant uh, Garden City? That's yes, we're we're planted out of Garden City. Okay. We're called Quicksilver. Quicksilver. It's Ooh. called Quicksilver Church. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it's not the Surf brand, which we have to tell everyone, because <laughs> there's a C in it, and it's based off the county park that i grew up near oh, I um, quicksilver county park which is the name for mercury so it's a mercury mine and uh i used to run Whoa. in that park back in high school so it just means san jose and now you're doing church there we don't we don't do church at that park oh but we do we do at, oh we, we meet closer to downtown all right and then that was in september of 2020 uh, 20 so you're yeah. coming up on t- what 10 months then yeah Something that's right like that that's right it wow, like, you, you went like... for it right, right in the, in the in the thick of it. I I was totally expecting to hear that it, you didn't go ahead with the plant, but you did. <laughs> you crazy fella. <laughs> we announced it in January of 2020. Yep. And then two months later, lockdown happened. Yeah. And then we were meeting together as a core team, and Justin from Garden City was like, "Hey, why don't you just go for it." Yeah, uh, this, there could be some cool opportunities here, and I'm like, I guess you just want to get rid of me. <laughs> but I thought, you know, why not? Why not? There's some, there have been some tremendous opportunities. Yeah. From this time, I mean, challenges for sure, but also and also opportunities at the same time. And so everyone's rethinking church. Yep. We're certainly no exception. I mean, the great thing is, like, people ask, "Hey, what'd you guys do this year for Easter? Or what'd you guys do last year for Easter?" I mean, we didn't, we don't have a reference point for Easter. Right. We didn't have a last year of Easter, so yeah, you know, it's yeah, you get to sort of make it up as you go, like whatever every day, whatever's gonna work. Let's just every, do that every day. <laughs> feels like we're making it up as we like we threw we mm. throw away what we did yesterday and figure out the new what's supposed to happen. Yeah, man, you know, it seems like um, hang on, can we pause? I'm sorry. I'm, Missed dial. Never mind. I thought that was work calling me. It's very strange for them to to do so. Okay. Um, it seems like the the American church model is going to be forced to pivot a bit. I I don't know that we're going to see giant auditoriums filled with people as as the goal anymore. So, I mean, some of them might return. But I think given the last, you know, 18 months or so, it kind of seems like we sort of have to be ready for other stuff, you know. Francis Chen's looking like a genius right about now, isn't he? Dang it, that guy was right. Yeah, so many thoughts because 
I think people have been wanting to rethink church for a while, hmm. and the pandemic accelerated certain trends right. um, about rethinking church and the big Sunday gathering and the big production and all those types of things. And I was certainly headed in that direction. Hmm. But I think what's hard now is then what is the front door for church? Because yeah. up to this point, or one big hallmark of the American church was Sunday. The Sunday is the front door, the big music, yep. the um, incredible speaker, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's the centerpiece. And if you take that away, then what are we, mm-hmm. what are we inviting people into? Um, and so I don't have any answers. <laughs> Darn it. I was hoping you were just about to I don't have any answers. Shed some wisdom I, upon the world. I mean I, I mean this goes back to this kind of kind of my story, but like this our church is founded around dialogue. Okay. The problem with dialogue or the, the challenge of dialogue is not everyone wants to talk about stuff. <laughs> and sometimes people just want to listen. Yep. And so our church is founded on not being anonymous. Like we're kind of low on privacy. Hmm. So when we first uh, when we first launched over Zoom, we asked everyone to turn their cameras on. Yeah. Um, and so if you're new, you're going to stand out a little bit because we want we want to see your face. Right. And yet people have appreciated the pandemic is because you can attend church like completely anonymously. Over on YouTube. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. You. No one has to know that you went to church. No one. Yeah. No one has to know you went to mm. church. Um, and you can go to a church anywhere in the world. Hmm. And so we have not preserved anonymity at all in a church plan. And that's probably harder to do in a small church anyway. Um, but that's yeah. kind of our feature is that right. you can't be anonymous and not everyone wants that. In fact, I would say a lot of people don't want, they, they want to be anonymous um, and they may want dialogue, but they want to do it in a very specific mm. way right. with people that they know and to feel safe. And in their time. Exactly. Yeah. And on their terms. Yeah. But I, I don't know that 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 sort of anonymity is a historically prevalent church model or, or a, a experience for people, you know? Yeah. I think it's only, I mean, how long has the idea of the mega church been around? Like 30 years, maybe? Yeah. Something yeah. like 30, that. 40, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember going to a fairly large Catholic church at one point. So maybe, maybe in, in that vein, of church world it was very <laughs> anonymous right. right but i think as far as like the evangelical type of flavor yeah what's the average church is like 100 people still something, something like that. that yeah yeah i went to church in uh hilo hawaii hmm. last week a little a church was called ohana church it was adorable hmm. well not adorable but whatever i hope they don't hear that but <laughs> um <laughs> i won't tell them it was really cool because the second I walked in, I knew, and everyone there knew, I was the new guy. <laughs> and immediately, people came up, hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know, what's up, brother? How, where, yeah. where are you from? Yeah. You know, telling me you're from California. They're excited. I expected to be like, I'm from California. They're like, all right, tourist. <laughs> no, but they were like, oh, awesome. Welcome to the... It was great. That's great. I think I think relationships are the most attractive thing that we have. Totally. So I think when you take away, yeah, if you take away the charismatic speaker and replace it with someone like me and <laughs> or 
the big band and all that, like pretty much all you got left is a good message and a handshake and like a relationship. Right. Um, and that's hard because you have to be involved. Right. It doesn't just like. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't do itself. And I think yeah. what's hard is that I think you're speaking to what's ch- so challenging about church today is that people are seeing that they may not have had close relationships within the church. And that's why it's so easy for people to stop going. Um, it's because they weren't well connected in mm. community. Yeah. Um, and they're, and people are realizing how important community is. And maybe they didn't find it from church, but they're finding it in other places. Mm. Um, and so I think a lot of people have dropped out because they already have relationships with other Christians that may not need to be structured by some kind of Sunday meeting. Wow. Um, and they're relying on that. And that's, I think that's great. Um, and yet I do think it's important to have hmm. a church community behind you and to be part of. Um, but hmm. I think the mega church kind of created that forum, that context of relationships. And now yeah. we're just, now we're trying to find those third spaces, right? those third right. places where, <clears throat> whether it's a cafe or a gathering spot where people yeah. can have community Yeah, because it's, it's not easy to find. It's really hard. Interesting. Yeah, because I mean, one of the biggest like internal criticisms of the American church model is the consumer. Mm-hmm. That you, you you show up, you don't have to know anybody or talk That's right. to anybody. You just come and get your get your cup filled. That's right. And go, go and yeah, and that, I don't think that's been a great thing for the body. No, really, to have disjointed parts. Right. Yeah, you don't leave your feet sitting over there somewhere. Right. <laughs> you that's bring right. them with you. That's so. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how's the How's how's the the planting experience been then? Because you're, I'd imagine what what's the the size limit is, how how many people can you even have together? Like, I mean, right now, I mean we're not. I I think for the county guidelines, um, it's maybe over a hundred. Maybe it's a couple hundred. We're not like we're that. not close. To, we're not close to that okay. in Santa Clara County. So we're not. Yeah, okay. We're fine. Yeah. Huh. So it's it's for our in person gatherings because we do a Zoom at the same time. Okay. And so it's a little bit clunky, especially for those. Actually, either way, whether you're in person or on Zoom, it's a little bit clunky. Yeah. Because when you're in person, you're considering the people uh, who are virtual, and then the virtual people don't get to see all the people who are um, online mm. or in, in person. So it's it's kind of strange. Um, okay. But we're making it work, and yeah. and we're actually getting used to being at a park where, you know, there's dogs barking and <laughs> there's some. There's some tents set up nearby near the creek, and people are walking through, and there's cars and loud motorcycles, and it's just hmm. the reality of being outside. And at first, it was really awkward to sing um, in that yeah. kind of environment, yeah, and even listen to a, a sermon. But now it's, or for hmm. me to, to say it, to speak it, and now it's become a little more natural. You have like sound reinforcement, you got a microphone or something? Or we do, we do a little bit of ampl- <clears throat> amplification. Um, it's all battery powered yeah so we have no no i guess it's not powered in the conventional sense but we have a wow a battery powered speaker that we try not to turn too loud but we want to make loud enough because at first people were standing like 20 feet apart and so right. we got i mean people were <laughs> our group was pretty cautious and now right. now that probably half of us are vaccinated and we're standing a yeah. lot closer together and yeah um just recently santa clara county said you don't have to wear masks outside so right um now you can see people's faces which is huge Yes. You can hear people's voices more. It's been, it's, it's exciting. Mm. It's exciting. Yeah. I feel like the, the immunity is like when, uh, 
when when mom comes in and scares the monsters out of your closet, you know, <laughs> like uh, I feel good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I can yeah. I can relax. I'm not a danger to anyone. I'm not a uh, danger to myself. Or <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the three three tiers of of uh, COVID safety. Right. Um, yeah. I uh, back to what you were saying about uh, the the disconnection that people have felt i i've i noticed that fairly quickly uh that the like just the the volume of people that i would see week to week or maybe a little less frequently than that and especially the number of people's names that i remember has faded more and more to the point where i i know for a fact that there's people that i saw weekly that i probably haven't consciously thought of for well over a year and if i saw them today like would i remember their name i don't even i, I can't even think of who they are right, right. now it's right. like i experienced that because I, I ran the grade school ministry of resonate and uh it's been long enough now that there's some of the kids that were in the older you know grade school years that i don't recognize them They've, they've grown and changed and it, t it takes me a little bit to get the wheels moving and they're like okay now i know okay i know your face now i gotta remember your name and yeah. it's like oh and those are just the people that have come back right uh you know our church in particular we on a sunday would would host you know 1400 people now we host up to 400 and so I'm not sure where, where the people in the gap are. Right. You know, you could look at views on YouTube, you know, maybe. Right. But like, what's their engagement? Right. Where are they? What What are the are 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 the avenues of discipleship even right. open for them? And it's like, dang, I, probably not. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a depressing like prospect right how are how are kids doing with this my kids are older so i haven't um it, it's you know uh, i'm sure it's all over the all over the map yeah it seems to be all over the place uh pretty much every kid that i talk to does not like doing school the way they're doing it uh even hybrid um they I mean, gosh, the, the responses are so different. I, I couldn't categorically say, like, kids are fine. Um, I think their their uh, social abilities are definitely being hindered, hmm. you know, especially the younger ones. Hmm. I mean, because kids develop so quickly right. that if you take a second grader who's just kind of learning how hmm. to communicate to other humans, really, at yeah. that age, and tell them to go home and only talk to their parents or siblings right. for a year and a half. Yeah. And then, uh, when they do see people, by the way, you, you can't see their whole face. Right. Uh, you can't get anywhere near them. Right. So human contact has been essentially removed to like your eyeballs. Right. And, uh, I don't know what the long term is of that. Uh, in, in in the short term, you know, you, you know that isolation isn't great for most humans. So 
but what what is the long term you know stunting of that? I don't know. Uh, who knows? You, you, they're they're probably going to spend years writing books and studies and and trying to figure out like this giant social experiment that we have undergone. Like how, what has the effects been? Hmm. I know that sports have suffered. Oh yeah, the the skill level of every athlete in the country stinks. Right. <laughs> compared to what it was two years right. ago. And now you have every all these compressed sports seasons, yeah, like a six week basketball season or something. Yeah, it's barely right. Well, that that's my uh, fiance. <laughs> I like saying that now. Yeah, she. So she's she's been coaching volleyball for years, and and this whole year was just a chasing their tail, trying to right. figure out can we can we meet, can we not, can we practice, can we use the net, can we touch a ball that right. you're going to touch, and go back and right. forth and. You know, they, they can play, but they got to wear masks. And then, so they decide to have a season and it's only six weeks long. And it's almost like, like a consolation prize. Right. Like, yeah, you can't actually play, we'll, but we'll let you play a few games. Right. And then stick something up your nose twice a week. And it's, <laughs> it's just maddening. <coughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm going to get depressed talking about this. No more. Um, <laughs> It's coming back though, right? Things are coming back, so it's exciting that things are. I, I will admit feeling uh, a good deal of relief. Um, you know what? What is all the way back going to even look like? I don't know. Right. That that'll depress me even more. But you know, it's even more than like getting back the things you can do. It's I think the reduction of this like sustained condition of fear. Right that people have just lived in for right. so long. And, and the first thing they think about all the time is this, this ugly thing. Even at church, I, I've, I've uh, postulated that we probably have more conversations about COVID at church mm. than we do about Jesus, like in mm. the, in the lobby or out front. Like mm. that's, I just want it to go away. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Well, besides that, um, so you're 10 months into a church plant. Okay. What's the, uh, I guess, what am I trying to say? Like, what's your, what's your projection next? Like, what, what are you trying to, what are you trying to do? What are you working on? What's kind of like front row for you? Yeah. So we have summer life group starting and that's exciting um, because we're just trying to do some different things with some book clubs and some in more interesting topics, mm. or I shouldn't say more interesting, but some. We're giving some freedom for <clears throat> leaders to decide what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and then we're looking to hire another pastor. All right. Uh, we've been gifted with some, you know, God has provided financially, and we want to hire a, awesome. another uh, teaching pastor to kind of share the load. And I've never wanted to be the only, <coughs> excuse me, the only person or a staff person. And so, <coughs> excuse me, being able to share that is really exciting. But um, hiring is a lot of work, and I'm, I'm kind of scared. About how to do it and <laughs> go about it. Yeah, good luck. I don't know. <laughs> Are you thanks, right? Good. Yeah, go get him. <laughs> go get him. Get him, Tiger. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you? Where are you looking? Are you, are um, you networking? Yeah. Or? yeah. So it's it's mainly through personal network yeah. and um, other pastors, right? Um, including Quan, um, yeah. and then trying to figure out what that's, you know. With it. it would be great if it was someone in the Bay Area um, because it's so expensive to live here and someone who's already oh, here man. would be um, acquainted with that. Used to, um, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, not, yeah. 
so that's the ideal um and so that's what we're right on thinking about and then as far as location um we haven't had a lot of desire to meet indoors yet so we were looking at a bowling alley um and again this has to do with what we want sundays to be about right yeah just you were talking about we're talking about rethinking the sunday gathering right so i'm still trying to figure out what sundays are supposed to be like what are we trying to do yeah um and then based on that maybe um you know go from there yeah Um, but we've looked at you know commercial spaces and thought about warehouses and yeah stuff like that yeah Um, and even meeting at a barn at a park that's a possibility too yeah quicksilver barn quicksilver barn church there you go that'd be a blast yep i love it yeah because well the 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 previous pathway would be i guess no park at all right (laughs) Right. maybe a house and then a some small commercial space and then a bigger one and a bigger right. one and a bigger right. one and a bigger or renting a church in the afternoon or that yeah yeah you're familiar with that model yeah. right. yep but what is what is the next one hmm. i don't know underground <laughs> <laughs> yeah basement yeah candlelit yeah hiding from the the uh, religion police <laughs> no not not here at least not yet well, I'd love to know a little bit more about some further back things for Let's you. Let's do it. Uh, Let's go back. Because I, when I I met you uh, six years ago or so, twenty fifteen, in, in a car ride like on that. the way to LA. Yeah, that was so fun. Yeah, that was a, that was I was an intern at that point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, bring bring me back. I mean, I, I'm. <clears throat> Like, where were you born? Yep. Let's start there. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Give me the bio. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. All right. Great stories. Great stories. <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. I'll be the, I'll be the judge yeah. of that. <laughs> so my dad is from Hong Kong. Okay. And my mom's from Taiwan. And they're Chinese immigrants. And they met at the University of Iowa. And then moved out to Boston. And I was born in Boston. Okay. And so my dad got a job with IBM back when I was two. And so I didn't spend much time there. I can't, I can't say that I have any memories of Boston, Um, but I had, I have gone back a couple times since. um, And I had some family there that, that recently moved away. So we grew up in San Jose. My, my parents moved to San Jose. Yeah. Um, Cause all IBM is here. Yeah. yeah, Well, there's, there's the Colorado road facility. We, I grew up um, at first East San Jose, then we moved South. Um, and then moved to Almaden, which is a aff- pretty affluent area right. down in South San Jose, right near Quicksilver. Mm. Um, and so I grew up as an immigrant kid among a lot of immigrant kids, mm. um, lots, lots of Asian Americans. And my parents were not believers. Um, and my dad had a kind of a Buddhist background. And one of my earliest memories of him was he would burn incense um, mm. for his mom. He never met his dad. And so wow. most of his, um, I don't know what you call, like reverence for his parents, was it was all directed towards his mom. Right. Because um, she's the one that basically supported him. And then I think she passed away when she was, I think he, she passed away when he was like, um, no, no, I'm sorry. My dad passed away. His dad passed away when he was like six. And so he became the man of the household. Mm. Um, so my dad grew okay. up um, more or less without a dad. Which wow. tells you a little bit about my upbringing, right? So, um, 
yeah and so yeah he had a buddhist background and then my mom grew up in catholic school but it was just kind of a christmas easter thing for her going to church right yeah yeah the standard american diet <laughs> yeah <laughs> church yeah so one of my earliest memories growing up was um this Las Gatos christian church we went to their christmas program okay and i remember entering into the i guess sanctuary or auditorium and being like oh my gosh this place is huge but they didn't i didn't actually go to that one i mean i didn't actually stay in there because that was like the adult church they took me to a small classroom right during that time shove all the kids in there to be quiet when i first got in there i was like oh i get to be in here but i was like psych no you get you get to go into this little <laughs> classroom um and it was clearly a classroom like it was like, right you know the you know the small little chairs and everything like that i was like okay i get it this is this is where i go <laughs> This is detention. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and we wonder why, why like teenagers don't want to go to church. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I had this same exact experience. Giant Catholic church. And mm. Yeah. Okay. Welcome. All right, kids. Right. <laughs> we go in this little hole over here. Right. <laughs> Just so you're quiet. Yeah. And then, um, so it's me and my brother. My brother's 14 months younger, and we grew up fighting all the time <laughs> and um, a lot of sibling rivalry. And because my parents weren't, they really had no idea how to raise kids. Um, they they compared us in front of each other all the time. Oh. They had us in all the same activities. <clears throat> um, and so I, I kind of knew that the way to... I guess do well in my family and I'm a competitive person yeah was to just be better than my brother so in everything we did mm. um, I just tried to be try to be better than him um, and we and of course we fought all the time yeah and I bullied him <laughs> tremendously oh. I mean tremendously um, and he's got kind of a different I mean our personalities are different he's more gentle and yeah he's more gentle and sensitive <laughs> than I am and he uh, he took it and I mean, he'd fight back too, but uh, that was that was a huge <laughs> dynamic of our relationship. Um, and then when I was thirteen, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, for my dad's work assignment. Oh, yeah. So my dad my dad moved there first. Okay. Um, and then uh, we moved there along with him. Hmm. Um, and and he had started going to church when he dad was, did. My dad had started going to church, a Chinese church. Okay. And the reason he did that is there were a lot fewer Chinese people. In Atlanta at the time, this is mm. the late '80s, okay. early '90s. A lot less Chinese people there. It was '89 to be exact. Um, There's a lot less Chinese people there than in the Bay Area than in mm. San Jose. Um, and so he slept through service, <laughs> ate lunch, and then played basketball, um, and then gradually just started to stay awake um, through the service and mm. started to listen to the message and, and hear the word wow. of God. And I I started going with the family and didn't have any friends hmm. and i was a kid i don't remember anything about the preaching i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember a single sermon but i do remember in sunday school um asking all these questions huh. i would just ask questions nonstop. and i remember looking at my other classmates going do you realize the crazy things this person's saying <laughs> like yeah and what happened to the dinosaurs right and what about evil <laughs> and what about suffering? And all the rest of the kids were just like glazed over huh? there. Yeah. They just want to get out of there. Right. Yeah. But I'm like, you know, this is crazy stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. It's like some crazy yeah. things that people are saying. 
And so from the very beginning, questions, asking questions was like a huge part of my faith journey. Hmm. Um, in fact, actually, I'll rewind a little bit. I think my first time going to church in the Bay Area was in fifth grade, something like that. Okay. And I had a friend named Joe Lowe. Um, and I remember um, sitting in class one day, it was dark because they were showing a film. And I started picking my nose during <laughs> class. And that's just a dumb thing to do. Um, and then after never get away with it (laughs) on the way home, uh, to your point, there were two girls who had spotted me and they called, they called at me while I was walking home. Nose picker. They're like, nose picker, nose picker. And then Joe Lowe, those um, fifth grade girls, man, they're so mean. mean. And then Joe Lowe, I remember he says, everyone picks their nose. (laughs) <laughs> and he stood up for me and it was great and it was such a it was a dumb it was a totally dumb comeback right it was that's perfect it was point you know what i mean and it but the fact that he did that for me was yeah. um significant and i remember <laughs> he invited me to church like around that time and i went with him and i do actually remember um well i don't remember what was said hmm. but i remember sitting um on a curb that night in tears because hmm. i thought if it's true that god is real then everything in my life changes. Like everything wow. in my life up to this point has been, hmm. if it's real, if it's true that God is real, then everything up to this point has been an illusion. Yeah. Everything in my life up to this point has been fake. And that's what I began thinking about. Hmm. And I, th- I think I had these thoughts a lot, like what's the purpose of life? Like, why am I here? Yeah. Um, and those were kind of questions that just kind of per- percolated through me and it kept me up at night. And um, there's just things that I wrestled with. As a fifth grader, you're, thinking that way yeah i know it sounds weird but like yeah i I would think about in the fifth grade sixth grade i mean throughout there was these these like deeper questions that i just always wrestled with Hmm. and so when i when i was in atlanta um those questions came back for sure right because now i'm getting answers to some not all of them but some of these questions i'm getting answers and some of them frankly were not conclusive at all right they weren't super helpful right Um, but there were answers right and i learned about this Hmm. god who who died um who had to die for me and i remember I think it was at a retreat, just looking up at the sky and going, mm. if it's true that God would die for me, I'm in. Hmm. Like, I'm totally in. So, what is that, sixth grade, something? Seventh that grade? That was, uh, let's see, eighth or ninth, probably the summer between eighth and ninth grade, something like that. Right. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in that time frame. Um, and I also just remember mm. playing sports with some of the kids from church. And I remember one time in particular, again, like, it goes back to just, just boy things, right? This is, yeah. I don't remember a sermon, but I remember. I remember playing sports with uh with some of the other boys in mm. the church and um I can't catch and but somehow I caught a touchdown <laughs> and I remember one of the one of the guys in the church I remember I remember this so distinctly like it was yesterday he lifted me up like after I scored because <laughs> I think I, had, I hadn't caught anything I think up to that point it was your big it was your <laughs> peak that's right, right. Your, your sports peak <laughs> that's right. church church football <laughs> those intramurals have made right. made men out of many boys it's good <laughs> and so yeah so I, those are some certain experiences that I hmm. that made an impact on me yeah um, and then yeah basically our whole family uh, became believers uh, became followers of Jesus hmm. during that year when did your brother come along? Um, I don't know exactly. I actually didn't get baptized in Atlanta. So we only spent a year there. So it was basically my okay. the end of my eighth grade year and then the beginning of ninth grade, um, the, the first semester of ninth grade. Okay. Um, and then moved back um, and then wow. got involved with the Chinese church here in the Bay Area. Um, and that's where I was baptized. It's a church network called Chinese Church in Christ. 
It's a good name. <laughs> pretty much tells it's you it's a terrible name tells you what's up yeah. it's a terrible name all, yeah. all chinese churches are kind of named that way because it's a translation <laughs> of the chinese okay and so they keep it very they try to keep it very descriptive obviously and then they just translate it right. into yeah the uh that's fair into the english so the we uh we, i shouldn't say we do we did this thing with the kids a lot uh where we would have them write questions down on mm-hmm. little little like flip book pieces of paper and tear them out and just bring them up and put them in this big anonymous pile of questions and stuff and i, I probably did that maybe once a quarter hmm. or so and i was always shocked by both the like cleverness of the joke ones and the seriousness of like the jesus ones hmm. unbelievable that you know, and I, you start to know, like, who's asking what, you know, after a while. They don't put their names on it. But, like, you know, you have third graders, yeah, asking about, like, one, one that came up a lot was uh, if if Adam and Eve didn't sin, like, would we? You know, that kind of thing. Or, like, why doesn't God just make evil go away? You know, or how how come God loves us even though we can't stop doing wrong things? <laughs> like the most simplest language yeah. for the really the things that I don't think anyone ever stops yeah. marveling about, right? And then, yeah, the kids are there; they're asking that, and I I think their parents would always be shocked to know that that that's because the kids don't really talk about it much. It's not really like that that space to ask isn't given often hmm. or encouraged, you know. And so we we were always just like. Ask your questions, even the silly ones. I would answer them. They'd ask me like, "Do you like spaghetti?" Yes. Next question. No. <laughs> Do you think aliens are real? Ugh. Next question. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so you felt? Did you feel like you were challenging in your question asking, or were you? Always. So you were you were kind of like. I'm very. I'm a very confrontational person. Right. Right. So I would love to stump people, <clears throat> or <clears throat> ask it in a way they couldn't answer. And I was rarely satisfied with people's answers yeah. that they gave. Right. Yeah. A lot of people aren't prepared for those. Yeah. I realize that there are people who like to ask questions, but yeah. there's some people who just don't like them at all. Like they find it really threatening. And I think to right. some extent, especially after having been a Christian for a long time in, in my profession, there's definitely questions that scare me today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And for I, sure, and and a lot of my questions don't have good answers to today. Like like what? <laughs> I'm so curious. <laughs> well, like what? Like why doesn't God just make evil disappear? I mean, I can have oh some answers, gosh. but they're not they're not that satisfying. Right, right. Can you prove God's existence? Yeah, probably not. Right. Yeah, I think. The, the, yeah, definitely the most uncomfortable zone to come up on is the, like, the unknowables. Right. Always. It's like, nobody can know the answer to some questions. They're just not, you can't know it. You're talking about the infinite, all-powerful, mysterious, you know, omni-whatever of right. God. Like, you just can't, you can't get there. Yeah. You either have to believe that it's there or not. But I'm sorry. (laughs) I used to get upset 
because and I think a lot of a lot of it's easy to do it right where you go oh um, God knows or you know we'll find out in heaven and they always yeah. take it like a cop out like hey you know right you're just saying that because you don't want to wrestle with the with the question itself and I'm like no yep. I mean th- that's oh, there's always a trueness to that we don't always get to know yeah what's unknowable that's that's what's tough yeah yeah is defining what's unknowable well there's fancy ways of saying it but at the end of it it's just i don't know i can't tell you right. <laughs> you'll right. have to right. talk to him when you see him right. I, don't right. I don't know right I'm, I'm definitely more comfortable today saying yeah i don't know the answer right or i'll get back to you or here are some thoughts about it but they're not final yeah i'm still trying to figure out how to wrap my head around it yeah that's kind of my go-to is like I, I could tell you what I think. Right. I'm not saying it's right. Right. But you know I've thought about it just like you are. Right. And as far as I got. So right. let me know if you get further. Right. You can exactly. Tell me. <laughs> exactly. And also just letting people know they're not alone. Yeah. In the question they're asking, and that people have wrestled with these questions mm. for centuries, and we still we're and Christians debate about a lot of these questions. Yeah. Like endlessly, and there probably always is going to be debate. And that's, yeah. okay, that's okay. And so I'm less, I'm definitely less concerned today about having answers, but I think the struggle and the value of questions is undeniable to me. It's so important. Yeah. 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 And I think there's a lot of fruit in just saying that you don't know or you yes. can't. Yes. Because a lot of, a lot of folks just find like the, uh, they can't stand the idea that you haven't thought about this. This is yeah. a legitimate question. Right. What do you mean you don't know? God did it. Right. You know, but you saying like, it's a great question. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. We should figure it out. Right. That's, yeah. But I think having that door open for people to, even the if you, people want to challenge you, I think it's fine. Right. You know, I, I, I would hope to have some, something to say, but even if I don't keep asking, you know, yeah. So then you're, you said you went to a camp or a, a retreat. It was a retreat. A, yeah. It was like, a retreat for, it was probably the Chinese church that I was attending. Like a middle school ministry getaway. Something like that. Yeah. Winter yeah, yeah. camp or something. Yeah. Youth group, something. Okay. Yeah. And you, you were just looking at the stars. Was there like a sermon or a, a teaching or like what was the? I'm sure there was, but I have just many, hmm. I mean, some, some bad memories, but mostly really positive memories of being on um, youth retreats Hmm. Um, and just being outside. I think, Hmm. I think that's one of the main ways that God speaks to me is being outdoors and appreciating his creation and the majesty of, yeah, of of just being outside. Hmm. Um, There's something calming about it. There's something. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, you're in the midst of creation, right? Less human creation, more God creation. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So then from there, you move back. Right. Okay. And then did you get baptized here? Mm-hmm. Like, when did that go down? Yeah. So baptism was about a couple of years later. And yeah, so I think I think there's some other themes that I can bring yeah. up from my story. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned my dad didn't grow up with his dad. Right. And so he had no parenting model. And so alongside just being really curious and asking a lot of questions and mm. liking to argue um, mm. and then being competitive 
one of the things my dad did to kind of rein us, rein me in particular, but both my brother and I, mm. is his parenting model was based off IBM. And so IBM has every year these personal business commitments, hmm. basically your goals. What are your performance goals for okay. the year? Yeah. And so when we, we would sit down with my dad, I remember doing this when I was 10, and he'd say, so what are your New Year's resolutions? What are your goals for the year? These are going to be your your personal commitments. We're ten years old. Yeah, you're doing smart yeah. goals. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. And if you and if you meet your goal, um, I'm going to buy you a Nintendo game. And I remember my goals were um, get straight A's, of course. Okay. Um, read 25 books, something like that. Some some number of books. It's a lot of books. It's actually, I mean, there some of them are like choose your own adventure. Cat know? in the hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and then don't make don't make your brother cry. Those are my uh. three goals when I was ten. And of course, the third one—I don't think it made it 24 hours. I mean, that didn't—that wasn't a very intelligent goal, actually. In retrospect, thinking about my dad, should have shot a little lower. <laughs> no, that's just not a good metric. Maybe like, once a day would have been a better goal. <laughs> I want to limit the crying. That's right. That's right. That's right. Don't make your brother cry more than five minutes each day. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so that was kind of the environment, right? Where, where, yeah. where he's like, "Hey, you got some targets, and you got to hit them." And, um, and if you don't, then, you know, I, my, my dad was even before becoming a Christian, very affectionate with us. Hmm. Um, but there were times, especially growing up and even after he became a Christian that were really painful. Hmm. Um, because when, when we didn't get straight A's and that was always for me, um, we, it was always over dinner and he was very stern, had a, he had hmm. a strong presence. Um, and then he'd ask me, you know, how did I do in this test or what my grade was? And if it wasn't an A or, or you know, his standard, um, I don't remember this always, but he would, he would do the silent treatment mm. and he would just go, he would just withdraw and he wouldn't talk to me for, I mean, it felt like a week, but it was probably like a day or two yeah, at most. Right. But it just felt like forever. You got the message. Right. And, and I'm, I'm a really, um, you know, I love attention. I really strive to get attention. Silence can, I'm, I'm more okay with silence today, but at that time yeah. it felt like the world was going to end. Yeah. Um, and so the way that kind of shaped my view of God, especially in the beginning hmm. is that, um, because a lot of images I have of that early childhood time is my dad turning away from me, hmm. like having his back to me. Yeah. Um, and so I think the way that shaped my view of God was when God is silent, He's also, he's disappointed in me. Right. Um, yeah. And so that took, that took some time hmm. um, to really confront that my picture of God when he was silent is that he, that he was still pleased with me when he was silent, that because of Jesus, hmm. he had, and I knew intellectually, right? I mean, you can repeat, you know, as many times as you can, but you know, right. Jesus loves me, but the experience that I had, um, was that when God wasn't saying anything, he was disappointed. Right. And so I always had this feeling like, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, the heart learns much more slowly <laughs> than the mind. Yeah. What do you think it was that that had or has changed that? I mean, those kind of things are always, you know, 2% there still, you right. know. But what what is it that has turned that for you? Right. Right. And I think it's, um, I mean, I think, yeah, I think the heart is slow yeah. and, and it, 
and it's not just repeating it to yourself it's also experiences it's it's mm. it, it is experiences that help to shape that and so probably the first one is toward the end of high school, uh, my parents started to listen to this cassette tape series. This is like, you know, back in the day yeah. um, by a Western seminary professor named David Ekman. Okay. I've heard that name. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he, David. I started taking classes um, at Western because of him, but back in high school, this, we were on vacation after my senior year of high school we started listening to these cassette tapes. So we're, we're driving around the Canadian Rockies and listening to this like 16 hour cassette tape series. <laughs> um, and you know, part of it was torture, but part of it was amazing because yeah. I heard about the unconditional love of God and his gracious acceptance and how hmm. God is happy with us. Like, I think that was kind of the essence is the Trinity, God, the father, the son, the spirit, <clears throat> they're all emotionally involved. Right. In right. our salvation, yep, and they have this tremendous acceptance, and there's a family atmosphere, like they they are, <clears throat> they are the original members of God's family, right, and so you get to be part yeah. of this yeah. new family. You come yeah. out of your old family, and come into this new family, yeah. And so I don't think it had that much impact on me at the time, but it was planting a seed in my heart, you know, mm. alongside faith, right, to begin to. Um, hmm. experience my dad and God in a new way. Um, and so I saw my, I got to witness my dad change. And I think that's been a really um, incredible part of my story is watching my parents in their forties transform. And probably the most obvious way that I could see their change was their marriage. Hmm. Marriage is hard. Just <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know right Great. now. Great. Thanks. You know right Thanks for popping in, Fred. Marriage, <laughs> marriage is hard. Yeah. I'm marriage, ready. Marriage I'm is ready. hard and it's suffering. And <laughs> um and yeah, yeah, we can go down that route another <laughs> another time. But yeah. um my, my parents fought a lot, you know, yeah. when I was growing up. Right. And uh and I knew they loved each other, but they fought a lot and they were just really different. I mean that's every every couple. Um, but I saw how they worked through conflict. I think that was the thing. Mm. I witnessed how they worked through conflict differently after they became Christians. Wow. They they had this different kind of acceptance of each other. Okay. This kind of forgiveness of each other. Um, and this willingness to kind of... Um, like, there was less shame hmm. that they... They didn't try to hide their conflicts. Like, I know they worked hard a lot of points not to fight in front of us, but it's mm. just at a certain point, you're just not, yeah. you're just not hiding that stuff. Yeah. And I think they were a little more willing to kind of talk about their struggles mm. um, as a couple with us um, when we were, as, as we got older throughout high school, you know, mm. and share about it. And we just saw their demeanor towards each other change. Um, my brother and I, and I think that had a, tr that had a tremendous impact you yeah. know, on, on us, on, on me in particular. Um, yeah. Did the the silent thing towards you change? Yes. At all? Yeah. Yes, that also changed. Yeah. And I and I realized. Huh. I mean, number one, you know, my dad did some things. Um, verbal affection was was something that he began to do more and more. Like I remember when huh. I was twenty, um, and it's funny. I meant I mentioned this the other day, and he he remembers it too. And I I don't know how he learned this, but he just told me. Um, hmm. I apologized to him for 
basically being a jerk as a kid because I was <laughs> I was the kid that right. my brother and I are the opposite in that um, <clears throat> I I will argue tooth and I will fight my parents tooth and nail but I'll end up doing what they ask. Right. My brother's the kid who will nod and smile but then go out and do his own thing. <laughs> so he'll agree hmm. to do it and yeah. then go out and just do whatever where I'll, I'll fight and pretend like I won't, Yeah. but then end up doing what they asked me. Um, but it's hmm. really painful. You know, that process is really painful and I apologize for wow. a lot of um, some serious disrespect um, that I had. I, I just hmm. treated them really poorly um, throughout my teenage years. You, you did that when you were 20? Or you did that? Oh no! I was I was apologizing okay. for uh, as a teenager doing right. that. Yeah, when yeah. I was in college, and then he said, "Hey, hmm. um, today you've become a man." When I wow. after that apology, wow, and that meant a lot. That meant a lot to me because you own your junk. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. Today you've become a man. <laughs> that's something every son wants to hear from their like, like some kind of ceremony with that, or I don't yeah. know. Amen. I was just talking about that last night with uh, Scott Taylor, mm -hmm. that that boy to man face, because yeah. he's got two, one that's already at college and one that's graduating right now, and right. it's like this, like all right, time to put your pants on. That's right. <laughs> the world's coming. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that was a big that was a big moment um, for me, and it was a milestone in terms of my relationship with him. Yeah, and realizing that he—I I always knew he loved me, but I, there was a, there was a degree of assurance right. that I didn't have before, and he spoke to me in a way that, um, it, <laughs> it, it was significant, and I'll always remember. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, wow. Yeah, is he around still? Yeah. Where, where's he at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're still in Almaden. They're okay, st they live near Quicksilver. Yeah, so we get to well, we haven't seen them a whole lot. We didn't see them. We saw them maybe three times during the right. pandemic. Yeah. Um, but recently we had dinner indoors with them for the first time. Oh, that's in great. About a year, and that was fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Ah. Uh, similar with my my parents, and, and I didn't see them for a bit either. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You you mentioned that you equated God's silence with your your dad's thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you say God's silence, what does that what, what does that mean for you? <laughs> Unanswered prayer, or like when when do you feel like He's silent? Well, you you made a comment earlier. You talked about how you surround yourself with noise, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Very noisy, I, noisy and, world. Yeah, and I and I kind of do the same thing hmm. because when you take away the noise. I'm left with my thoughts. Yeah. And so I fill in the space when God is silent with other voices. Hmm. And they're usually critical voices um, because I'm a, I'm a very, right. I'm a really critical person. And that's one of the things I, I also got um, from my dad in maybe a more negative way is that he's very observant. Okay. Um, and I, and I have that too. And he, he detects patterns. Um, hmm. And I was really good at, and he's, he's just good at picking things apart. Um, and so I you, have that same so tendency. So you do that to yourself oh, yeah. more than anyone probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so noise is good. <laughs> Distraction. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I took a, a trip a while back. Uh, I went up 
I took the, the Jeep sitting outside is mine. Yeah. So I took that off into the hills and you get out of cell range. I, you know, I didn't have any music saved on anything. Like there's just nothing. Yeah. And I spent two days just in the wilderness and I thought I was going to lose it. <laughs> I was like, I need to get out of here. I had to leave. I, I was going to do four days and I did two. It was too quiet. Sitting there with your own thoughts, contemplating everything. Like just your brain is just right. like, and because the input is taken away. So it's right. like freed up to just boil. Right. Man. Yeah. It drove me, drove me nuts for a minute. But in a nuts in like a sort of in a good way, You're like there's nowhere to go. Like I got to think about all these things. Right. Yeah. Good for you. Two yeah. days. Yeah. Oddly enough, right when I came back from that, life changed in in quite a number of ways. Yeah. That's that's it's like the next week when I left the church staff hmm. or decided to, hmm. and then it was like maybe a week later when I met the gal that i'm gonna marry like just all like several things just all in a row it was really weird um yeah god's silence is a yeah that's a really interesting concept like why does that make us so uncomfortable well what's know. interesting is is being outside when I'm outdoors, especially at night, looking at the stars, for instance, like that moment, hmm. I don't, it may be silent in terms of sound, yeah. but I don't have the experience that God is mad. And maybe that's why I appreciate that kind of silence. Hmm. But there are other contexts like being indoors, for instance, right? Where if it's silent, it's different. It's a different, <laughs> I do feel like I'm, like almost claustrophobic, like I'm trapped with my thoughts than, hmm. than being outside. Don't get me wrong. I can definitely get anxious outside, but you know what I mean? There's, there's, <laughs> there's an experience of being in nature, right? Like yeah. being disconnected from all the stimuli where, um, where there is something really good about that. But again, I still right. crave being around people. Yeah. Also, so I totally relate to that. So at what point did you make the move to like i want to go into ministry like did you have another career path in mind right. and then you switch like right, right sorry yeah i should keep telling my story yeah no we're good i got notes we're, <laughs> we're back we're on we're always on on the rails here <laughs> so uh went to berkeley for school that's okay. where i met judy we met through crusade campus crusade now it's crew yeah um and then oh um i missed part of my story so my senior year of high school i heard the great grandson of Hudson Taylor speak, who was a missionary to China. Yeah. And again, I'm all about challenges, right? right. And the, um, I think it's James Taylor was his name. He said, it is a tragedy that so many foreign Chinese have allowed the evangelization of China up to the non-Chinese. And so he basically huh. called out Chinese people for not going back huh. to our homeland Whoa. Um, to reach, to reach the loss there. And so I Hudson remember Taylor, hearing, he's an American guy. Right. Yeah. 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 Tons yeah. Of like, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and so he. Yeah. And so I heard that and thought. Wow. Okay. Gauntlet thrown. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do this. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. And uh, was gonna after after college was gonna do a one year uh, trip. It's called stint. They call it stint. Um, okay. For, with crew. Yeah. Um, in China, and I did a I did a summer trip. Um, while I was in school. 
And so, but my home church pastor, his name is Tom Chow. He's had a big influence on both my parents and me. And he, he was mentored by Ekman, the guy who hmm. did that cassette tape series. Okay. Um, he asked me to come back um, after school. He said, you're just going to get arrogant from going huh. overseas. Why don't you do this with me? Um, he's a very persuasive person, very strong personality, very persuasive person. And so I said yes. And I also got a job with IBM, same, <laughs> same, almost the same group that my dad was in. In fact, for a while, we carpooled. Oh. When I was living at home, we carpooled together. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fight over the radio. We were, yeah, well, he, yeah, he did fight me on that. He, did, he wanted silence, and I, I did not want silence. Was, <laughs> he didn't funny. like my driving either. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he did his driving. No dad. <laughs> no dad likes her kids driving. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I don't like my son's driving either. <laughs> um, oh, so I, so I came back home and I so I started working in tech, right? So I worked for okay. IBM, and then um, yeah. and I started taking classes um, a couple years later at Western with Ekman. Okay, yeah. But you were you were doing Berkeley for like what was the? I was a business major. Yeah. Okay. I was a business major at Berkeley, and then got a job with IBM. Right. To come home. Um, to come back to San Jose. Right. This is in the dot com boom, and so yeah, yeah. you could. There were a lot of jobs yeah. available. That was back in ninety seven. Yeah, so many jobs. That was a good, good time to it get. It was into a good tech. time to graduate. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Three years later was not a good time to graduate. That was the best. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> Gosh, was that? It's two thousand two thousand one. Wow, somewhere in there. Two two three years after that. That's twenty years ago. <laughs> Gross. Yikes. Okay. And then um I hate that. That's <laughs> worst feeling. It does feel like it feels like forever, but not that long ago too. No, it doesn't feel that long yeah. ago. I'm not that old. I'm not old, you're old. I'm not old. <laughs> Keep saying that. Yeah. <clears throat> so so I started working at IBM and then um the, and then started taking seminary classes at the same time. And just so, taking one so class. That's that's a big move though. So what what made the I'm I'm going to seminary, like that's a pretty big. It was just one class, just like at a at curiosity. Exactly, kind of thing. it was that because of this guy Ekman that I had started listening to. Okay. Back in high school, back at the end of high school, I thought if he's good, if he's teaching, then I want to listen to you know yeah. I want to listen to his stuff, and he right. influenced um, my pastor Tom, and so okay I started taking that class, and then I started taking another, and you know education is an interesting thing, and the Chinese church is pretty it's a big emphasis and mm. I was leading uh, Judy and I were helping lead the young adult group. And so I thought, Hey, this could prepare me for going overseas. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was only thinking I was going to work for a couple years. Right. Um, it turned out to be nine worked. I worked at IBM and it became wow. that division became Hitachi. Um, that, huh. the disk drive division was sold off to Hitachi in 2003. Yeah. Um, and then I left in 2006. So I wow. worked there from night for nine years he survived the bust. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting though because when I came on, the disk drive division was making just tons of money. They were printing money. Yeah. And by the time by the time the the division was being sold, we were hemorrhaging money. Right. Because and they the, moved uh, in all the Singapore too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All the manufacturing moved away, all right. these different things, commoditized, all these different things. Industry changed a lot. Hmm. Um So yeah, uh. so that was that was that was my work and then um I think somewhere in that time, I began to realize, hey, you know, this ministry thing could be something I want to do. Huh. It could be something really 
exciting and interesting to be able to pursue um, because I was getting more involved with church stuff and um, leading the young adult group and working. So Tom's vision for me was like, hey, you don't have to go to China to work with Chinese people. They're here. They're here. <laughs> and why not work with the next generation, especially those who are leaving the immigrant church? Right. So I, God at that point began building my heart for Chinese Americans, probably hmm. Asian Americans in particular. I mean, Asian Americans broadly, but Ch- and Chinese Americans in particular. Yeah. Because there were just so, there's so many in yeah. the area. Yeah. Um, and a lot of Chinese Americans, as opposed to like Korean Americans, there's a much higher proportion of unchurched people, unchurched Chinese people than there are for, hmm. for Korean Americans. And so that's something that I, yeah. Hmm that I began to have a heart for. Um, little bookmark or something to note too is coming out of crew back to my Chinese church, I had a lot of resentment against the Chinese church hmm. because the immigrant church tends to be about 10, 15 years behind. And I, when I say behind, I want to be careful um, because that sounds, I mean, it is derogatory, but what I mean is, um, how do I explain this? The Chinese church is a cultural refuge. Right. That was that was my the mm. immigrant church is a refuge for immigrants. Right. And so it's not designed to be cutting edge at all. Mm. Like it's the opposite of a mega church. It's designed to be comfortable. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's designed yeah. to be comfortable for immigrants. Right. Right. So the food, yeah. the, the language, obviously, some of the customs, huh. it's meant to be something that immigrants feel like they're they're coming back to their home. Right. So they don't want to be pushing envelopes exactly exactly and then english ministries start Hmm. in these chinese churches because the kids you got to do something with the kids right right so they start off with uh you know child care for the babies and then it becomes kind of a kid a kid's ministry and then becomes a youth group and then it becomes a college you know and so forth Hmm. right until it becomes its own congregation which is where we were at um back in the early 2000s at this this chinese church that uh so that tom had planted within a generation you're it's it's a dual exactly church format exactly wow and but there is a yeah i can i can use those words there's a hierarchy right the yeah. the leadership of the church are the overseas born are the immigrants right and the the children okay. are 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 um are not in charge <laughs> You know what I mean? So the, <laughs> Good. The Englishman. Well, I mean, even even if you're grown, even in, oh. in the Chinese church, even when you're when you're an adult, you're yeah. still right. the, the the next generation still is not in charge, right? So that's one of the dynamics. Yeah. Almost as if you're you're not uh, like a a pure, like you've been tainted by, yeah, cultural delusion or something. I mean, I mean, no matter what, you're always going to be younger, right? And then age makes a difference in in, in Chinese culture. So, oh, and then, that, yeah, that too. Right. And then in any church too, right? You have the entrenched leaders, <clears throat> the people who've been leading, and it's and it's just hard for, to to empower and raise up leaders. Mm. Yeah, there's not a lot of room for the, the up and coming, right? Yeah, and I think every church uh, <coughs> has to wrestle with that how to how to raise yeah. up leaders and like having a succession plan. Well, and you hear a lot of that term. You know, that's my parents' church, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's like you don't want to go there. It could be the best church ever. Exactly. Kids still don't want to go there. Right. Because you'll always be his kid. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a, there's a dynamic there that um, that especially with the cultural dynamic too, right? Because it's 
yeah. it's Chinese culture oriented. And but the the kids, the next generation, my generation has grown up here, and so not only is there's a generation gap, there's also a culture gap, hmm. right? And right, so there's right, right. even more reason to get away from our parents, <laughs> because they're not Americanized. They're not, you know, what I mean, they don't. We don't share, right? At least in the same way, the same culture. Right. Well, even even so much as the language. Yes. You know that there's a. Kids that are raised here are are essentially bilingual, fluently, really quickly. Right. right. I mean, right. That, that's that just happens. Right. So even at home, there's a. There's a difference there. Right. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. But what was the resentment with that? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So I come back from crew and I'm in this um, ministry that, you know, is, is, is the poster child for evangelical culture. Right. <laughs> and is, it's certainly, you know, white dominated. And that's actually why I was drawn to it because Berkeley was, um, I mean, even, maybe even more so. Yeah, more so now, but definitely yeah. even back then, um, a, there are a lot of Asians there. Yeah. And so I was looking for a fellowship where I could get away from all the Asians because I think there was definitely uh, some self-hatred from my um, my upbringing right. that I just wanted to get. A, I, I wasn't proud to be an Asian American. Huh. Definitely not. I was is not that, proud to be a Chinese American. Is that a common experience? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've heard that often. Very like. I don't think I'm alone. Huh. I think it's more common for my generation. I think recent generations of kids don't feel that way, because of hmm. what's where the culture has moved in a good way. Well, that's good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think there are some. We'll keep doing that. Then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think there's some good things that have happened recently. Yeah that for lack of a better word just made it cool made, it's made it cool to be asian american oh good yeah <laughs> yeah i mean there's not i mean there's but i think for for my generation and probably you know maybe a good number of millennials we still struggle with some self-hatred because it wasn't cool to be asian um back in the 90s <sighs> there were fewer role models in yeah. in mainstream media there was less attention right. we didn't have you know stop AAPI hate. There's no movements like that. Right. Yeah. Man, I'm going to have to like rewind and think about that from, from my angle. Cause I grew up in the Bay area. Right. And it was, it was, it's always been, you know, melting pot culture. Right. Yeah. So, and that's true for, I mean, that's true for me too, but definitely, I mean, I, there was racism I experienced in San Jose. Yeah. yeah. And probably at a, at a greater level there no for sure at a greater level in atlanta as well and yeah. not necessarily from white people but from other minorities everyone's eating each other exactly dang it and the asians were at the bottom of the barrel really yeah oh because of the fewest there's the fewest of us right where there's no who's everyone else has other people to stand up for them you know what i mean they have they have critical mass that's something i've heard yeah right yeah the uh Keep your head down, just keep going. The, yeah. That idea. Yeah. Man, that's a bummer. <laughs> there's <laughs> it me out. There's a lot of interesting dynamics that go with yeah. Uh, that go with all of this. But the the resentment of the of your own background. 
Yeah. Right. Interesting. Right. So coming back to the Chinese church, I was like, we're, I'm in this backward yeah. environment. Very critical of it. Yeah. Yes. I, I can see that. Yes. Okay. And I'm used to the fast paced campus ministry. Right. Where, you know, you raise up leaders in a year. Right. And in ac- not even a year. Right. It's nine months. Right. That's all you, you got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So you do you do aggressive <clears throat> outreach. There's all these, you know, modes of expression mm. around evangelicalism that's super aggressive. Yeah. And you come and I come back to this immigrant church and I'm like, it's the same are, as it was when you yeah, left. Yeah, yeah. What is happening right now? Right. Um, yeah. And church ministry is always going to look different from parachurch ministry. Yeah. Um, but I was just really impatient and arrogant um, and in wrestling with self-hatred hmm. um but also realizing having seen my parents change um and knowing tom and just right. seeing fruit um from this chinese church and i experiencing that fruit i'm like there's something here and yet i feel like i'm better than it <laughs> uh so you're, you're the classic college kids that come back thinking he knows everything <laughs> totally, totally. for sure for sure undeniably yeah yeah and so that was a big that was a big wrestling uh, that was a big wrestling match with God, <clears throat> those first years coming back um, to the Chinese church, feeling like I should be in a a better you know what I mean I should have a bigger stage or more influence or be in a different environment, right? Um, to use my gifts, etc. Um, and yet also realizing, hey, you know what? I think God does have a purpose for me here, and I've grown a lot from this mm. this place and these people. Um, and then just watching my my parents transform. So there were some really good things happening at the same time, but also just this kind of internal yeah. turmoil about like, where do I fit in? And, you know, how do I use my gifts? Um, and so, but I finally decided to go into ministry um, because, you know, I was thinking about missions, but other, right. God had raised up other people to go to China. And I thought, well, I can reach people. I can reach Asian Americans and Chinese Americans here in the Bay Area yeah. by being a pastor. Yeah. And so probably maybe three or four years in, to seminary and again i was still working at ibm i decided hey okay. like, why don't why not just just pursue um a master's of divinity yeah. um and and work to become look to become a pastor you did that at western whole, the whole bit mm-hmm. yep yeah yep it's all night or weekend classes Whew. yeah there, it was brutal while was working not, at ibm yeah Whoa. Yeah, we were, were, you, having, were you married at that point yeah we, yeah we we're having kids and Ooh. that was not a good stage or i don't recommend that to anyone Thank God for coffee, right? No, changes everything. No, I didn't drink oh. coffee. No, no, not that, not at that how time. How did you? How did you do that? I don't know. I don't know how I did it. I didn't Dude. do it very well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I got through it, but yeah. Man, I, I kind of wish I had discovered coffee back then. I mean, yeah, this yeah. wasn't something on my radar. You know what, though, when you're in your like mid twenties, you can do anything. Nothing makes you tired. You can miss a night's sleep and just kind of keep going. Mm. I can't do that now. No, it it definitely took a toll on me. Yeah. Sleep is one of those things where even in my 20s, it was really precious. Like I remember hmm. um, trying to focus on writing papers. Like anything creative, hmm. when you don't have enough sleep, is really, really difficult. Nothing comes out, yeah. Nothing, exactly. Right. Nothing comes out. Right. So I remember really struggling with some of those. So I wouldn't say I had great study habits, but hmm. anyways, like I got through it and then went on staff with, um, CCIC, we call it. Okay. Um, back in 2006, as one of the pastors. Uh, what was your What was your job responsibility? Um, at that time, I was an intern. Actually, okay. that that was it was pastoral intern. Okay. Was my title. Okay. And so um, it was still working with young adults, and then also doing some youth ministry. 
So at what point did you feel like you discovered calling? Like I am meant for this. Yeah, I think I think back to that James Taylor, the great grandson of of Hudson Taylor. Hmm. I think the calling to be missionary is when I felt it. Um, and so I don't think I experienced a pastoral calling. Hmm. It all came from that missionary calling. Sort of figured itself out then. Yeah. 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 I was like, hey, I think this is still just an extension of that original yeah. calling yeah i think there's a there's a lot of wisdom in just being just willing to say yes <laughs> to where you're led right like if you think you know all the details of like oh i'm supposed to do exactly this or that yeah probably not yeah <laughs> yeah that's right it, it might change that's right hold on to something yeah yeah and so you spent how many years at that like working there yeah i think it was 10 i think i spent 10 years there that's when I met you, actually. I met you when I was still at, um, it's called CCIC South Valley. It's before Garden City? That's right. That's right. Oh. Because Ryan helped me um, get to Garden City. He's the one that introduced me to Justin. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that story. That's what that was. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll get there. Because I was going to say, how old are you? Because you have these nine or ten year chunks <laughs> everywhere. It's like, what is going on? I'm like 90 years old. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> How'd you do this? <laughs> yeah. Well, anything significant about that time, just being a pastor there? Like, how did how did you... Oh, man, so many things. Yeah. Give me a couple. Like, yeah, what, so what many did, things. What um, did that teach you about you or... In general. Give me the goods. So, yeah, a couple things with that were... Number one, there was a church plant in 2008 that um, my English pastor, the guy who was who was there before me, um, Peter, Peter Fong, started. Hmm. And that's how I began thinking about church planting. And so it started out as a summer young adult group among all the Chinese churches, all these, you know, sister churches. <clears throat> And there was a momentum and an excitement um, to this church plant. Hmm. And I remember thinking, this is a really good thing. Hmm. There's something really good about a church plant and the direction this is going. Um, there's something just super exciting about what's happening. Um, and we need we need to do a better job reaching young people yeah. of the next generation. Yeah. And so he kind of inspired, started to inspire that dream of planting a church and then I read Keller's why plant churches. And I think that's launched many, many church plants. Well, they, they um, say the best, the best tool for making more Christians is planting churches. Right. 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 That's in that, that's yeah. in that document. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I'm going to be a missionary here and you're telling me the best way to reach people is through planting churches, do that. Then how can I not consider huh. planting a church? So I would say that's when that, when God began to plant that seed mm. um, in my heart in terms of, extending that missions calling right um and then the other thing that was really pivotal is around that time also i think it's around 2008 is we were introduced <coughs> i was introduced to a ministry called operation dawn operation dawn operation dawn which is a gospel rehab it's a residential substance abuse uh rehab hmm. and so these guys live in a house for i think it's 18 months it's a long time and they and we, our okay. church partnered 
um, with this ministry to work with these men. <laughs> um, and they're ranging age from like, I don't know, 20 to like 40, 45. And I got to know guys that I, you know, in our kind of, um, in my kind of spheres, we don't, I don't run into those who yeah. are, are stuck in substance abuse. Right. And, and I met guys who experienced, um, you know, all kinds of compulsive behavior hmm. and couldn't have healthy relationships with people. Um, there's all kinds of conflicts in living together. Um, some guys were, you know, wrestled with same sex attraction and sleeping with men and just all, you know, all the whole range yeah. of, of, of things. And it, um, it helped me confront how broken we are as people. Hmm. And that really, um, it was, that's a turning point in how I see ministry. Um, because I just, yeah, it just made me realize like, we're all really messed up. I mean, <laughs> sure. These guys, these guys have their stuff, but we all have junk. Yeah. There's are just more visible. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And, and, and working with them just, I think it helped me encounter the grace of God in a way that I hadn't, I needed to experience. So going back to mm. the things about the heart slowly changing, yeah, it helped me encounter the grace of God in a way that, um, the, the way that I couldn't have otherwise, because up to that point, you know, especially being involved with crew, everything happens fast. You know, yep. you, you, get, you have this sense that the heart changes quickly and you can, you can almost like snap your fingers and, and people will yep. get it. Um, and God can work miraculously and he can. Um, yep. and yet there's also just heart work of God relentlessly pursuing us, mm. even though we screw up and relapse and fail over and over again. Right. <clears throat> and so I, I was learning to confront that. Um, in myself. Um, that's also the time that I started to go to counseling um, mm. because I was struggling with my own compulsive behavior that started by during seminary, um, which was porn addiction. Mm. And that was just a huge, um, that was a habit that was easy for me to escape to. Um, yeah. Because easy to find. Easy to sure. find <laughs> and um, just represent a lot of things like novelty and affection and those types yep. of those types of things. And so um, counseling was also a big turning point for me as well in terms of ministry um, right. and learning how to um, stop condemning myself. Hmm. Yeah. That uh, try hard, fail, shameful, recommit, exactly. try hard, fail, shame. Right. Yeah. Right. It's more of a toilet than it is a cycle. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. And it spirals in and of itself, right? Because yeah. the shame just drives you deeper and deeper um, back into the cycle. Yeah. And I saw that um, in these men who were going through um, the recovery, but I also same, saw, yeah. I saw that reflected in myself. Yep. Right. I saw the exact same thing. And like you said, it was more visible for them. Yeah. But I knew exactly what was happening because it reflected something that was going on in me. Yep. Um. And so that's it. Yeah, that was just a really, it was not an easy time to wrestle with those things. Right. It was super painful. Um, and I don't regret it. It was definitely a kind of wilderness experience because even, even pastoring in that church was really difficult because when the church plant started, um, this church plant that Peter began, um, all the dynamic young people went to the church plant. Hmm. And um, it was definitely a rebuilding season. 
um, in my in my previous church in that in that uh, in South Valley. And so, um, yeah, so it was just really it was really challenging um, to rebuild. But um, fruitful. Right? Fruitful That's, in me. Yeah. But it didn't feel fruitful in terms of ministry. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, right. even working with like the Operation Dawn guys, like there's one guy, one, one friend, and we're still we're still good friends. Um, he just kept relapsing, mm. you know, and it was but it was like it was like teaching me like this is how God loves us. He picks us back up. Yes. He does us off. We're going to fall again. He's going to pick us back up and yep. he's going to continue to love us and pursue us. I think I think that lesson is what so much of the world is missing as as you try to deal with these things outside of the umbrella of grace. Yeah. It seems so hopeless. Yeah. And I think that's why you see such a push to just either ignore or like openly affirm and legitimize right. sinful things. Right. And that like that that doesn't work either. Right. But going through that like hard struggle is like that's it's scary. Right. You have to confront your own junk. Right. You know, be a man. That's right. <laughs> right. But you know, the, yeah, the the fruit that's come out of that is always it's always better than the comfort you get from ignoring it or, you know, the, the con job you do on yourself, right. you know, excusing things and you embrace that, that grace at the end of it is what it is. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't have to be perfect for God to love me still. Amen. That's the thing. He loved me when I was failing, right. when I was hopeful, when I was trying hard, when I was shameful. He right. was actually within all of these things. Yes. And and they're they're not tied to each other. Like how you would do that without the gospel is impossible. I I don't understand. Like it doesn't work. Yeah, the gospel is a cycle breaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we we can go off on that for yeah. hours. But um, when did you make the move to? Garden City. How, how did that go down? So towards the end of, I think 2014, something like that. Um, yeah. I was thinking more seriously about church planting, and I wanted to do that outside of the context of the immigrant church. Right. But I'd spent basically my entire Christian life in the Chinese church. Yeah. And my network was the Chinese church. And so I didn't know how to hmm. um, get out of that. Um, and I felt a little trapped and I had been journaling. I had been journeying slowly out of, um, my self-hatred of being, um, Chinese American of being Asian American. Um, but I was still, I was still working that out. Um, there were still some things that, and God is still working out some things with that today. And so, um, what I began to do is look at church planting assessment agencies. And we were assessed by a group called Stadia. Judy and I for, yeah. for church planting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, no, of Stadia. Yeah. Okay. And then it didn't, our first interview didn't go great. Um, <laughs> there were some tears shed uh, on Judy's part um, <laughs> because they asked some hard questions. And one of them was, uh, what's your most painful ministry experience? And mm. Judy shared some disappointment and hurt that she wasn't fully aware that she was carrying. Wow. And what it turned out was she wasn't on board with, with church planting. And so 
from we started to go to counseling as a result of that wow. and that was really hard um, that was really painful because you know this is one of those things where as a pastor my professional and personal life kind of uh, connect together right they all yeah. they, it all kind of goes together absolutely and um, and I felt personally and professionally defeated um, wow. because of that um, because I'd been dreaming since 2008 right so it's been six years I've been dreaming about planting a church and following in Peter's footsteps and doing something different mm. um, and, and getting out of the uh, immigrant church and so now it was kind of like a blow and so um, in that time there were some mutual friends who um, the Zitos actually um, Christine yeah. I, I, I talked with Christine and huh. or I don't even know if I did talk to Christine somehow Christine introduced me um, to Ryan Kwan and um, and as a result of that conversation Ryan and I met and we talked and then I think he just we just we just hit off and he just <laughs> took me under his wing he said some hard things I remember but he also was just really gentle that's what he does and it's <laughs> <laughs> his jam <laughs> You know about that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I know about the hard things and, and the gentle ones. Right, right, right. It's, good. it's both. It's, it's, yeah. definitely, it's definitely both. Um, yeah. And you don't always know, you know. You don't always get the heads up, like, which one you're <laughs> Yeah. Which one you're going to get. It's like, I thought we were just having coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why are we doing this right now? Like, <laughs> should I, I should have stretched first. Oh, like, that's what? funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, so it was really good. It, it was actually definitely more of the gentle restoration part at yeah. that stage um, right. because I was just, I was just hurting. Um, and then one of the healing things was going to exponential with you guys yeah. uh, as a staff team. That was super fun. Um, I remember singing, I think it was the lion sleeps tonight back on the way back uh, with Scott. That was pretty great. You might've been in the other car, but then I think you were, I think no, you were there. I was there. Yeah, That's, right. There. That's right. Oh gosh. That was super fun. We spent two hours working on harmonies for that stinking video to send it to the other car. That's right. I don't forgot about that. That's ridiculous. That was really fun. <laughs> and then, um, and then a, maybe a couple months after that, he mentioned Justin Buzzard was looking for hmm. um, an associate pastor, I think so, yeah. or pastor of groups or something. Yeah, okay. something like that. Associate pastor, and then. Um, and then I applied and I got it. And it just, it just, it was the, it was a great fit. And it was, wow. uh, yeah. So that, yeah, that was right near when Justin wrote that book, uh, Date Your Wife. That was, when I, that was when I heard of him. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, because then I saw you not long after that. You came to preach, I think. Yeah. When we were at American High School. Yeah. Maybe less than uh, six months, maybe a year within a year of that. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I came. A, I came twice. Yeah. Um, I came right after Exponential, something like that, yeah. or or soon after. Right. And I'm not sure. I don't think at that point I was at um, Garden City, but then soon after that, huh. um, yeah, I was I was over there. Huh. And then, at, and then I remember going to my first Acts 29 conference in Reno. Yeah. And and at that time, you know, they talk about church planting all, you know, throughout the whole conference. Right. Um, right. And then I remember Justin looking at me like, because the, the speaker had just said, hey, some of you are called to stick around and support church plants. And I remember um, Justin kind of nudging me going, yeah, that's, that's you. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, but it wasn't like that. I was it was convinced one way or another? I was just like, we'll see. It was more like we'll see. 
you know, like we'll mm. see what God does. And then maybe I think two or three years later, um, I was listening to Justin preach and he was talking about, I think it was Daniel. I think it's from the book of Daniel. And he was talking about taking risks. Um, and that's, that's mm. definitely one major theme throughout his preaching and his ministry. And I really appreciate about his leadership is mm. Justin's not afraid to take risks. Yeah. Um, and he's like, what are you, what are you going to risk? What are you going to, what are you going to put yourself out there for? Yeah. And of course, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> Holy Spirit, are you, are you speaking through Justin right now? And if so, what are you trying to say to me? Um, and I've been thinking about church planting and I feel like my mm. wife and I are more aligned. Judy and I are more aligned. What if, what if I'm called to raise my hand? Cause at that time we were talking about doing campus mm. or doing a plant yeah, um, and I realized, yeah, maybe I don't want to be a campus. Maybe I want to raise my hand and do something that's different from what Garden City is about, yet from the same DNA. Yeah. Um, and so um, I talked with Judy about it, and she said, you know, I stand behind this. I know you've continued to think about this. I appreciate the work you've done. Wow. And if you want to do this, go for it. But definitely don't hide behind me as the reason that you don't want that if you're afraid don't hide behind me and i realized up to that point i had been afraid and yeah. i had been using her as the excuse um to not do it and she's like no 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 it's don't it's don't a do that conveniently noble That's excuse right. Right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> pastors are all about the conveniently noble excuses yes i must tend to my wife <laughs> That's right. That's yeah right. And yeah. so, um, well, it's good for her. She, yeah. she gave you a little kick. Yeah. She helped my feet to the fire on that one. Yeah. And she still does. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, from that point forward, I was like, okay, I'm going to step into this <clears throat> and I'm scared to no end. And I'm still scared today. <laughs> I mean, I'm scared yeah, yeah. every day <laughs> about what's going to happen. And if I'm doing something wrong, um, but it's mm. been such an exciting journey. Justin yeah. and the rest of the elders were super supportive. Um, they drew up a proposal for what this would look like. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're part of the Garden City family of churches, so we carry some of the similar, we carry similar DNA, but yeah. I've had tremendous freedom to figure out what, you know, Sundays look like, for instance, right. um, how to roll out life groups. We have an emphasis on dialogue. And um, one of the things that I had asked Judy about um, Quicksilver is, you know, if we we're going to plant a church, what would be something distinctive? And I think she said this with, without hesitating. She's like, dialogue. It's the asking questions. Um, and so in the same way that asking questions was the way I came to know Jesus, mm -hmm. this is the way I've continued, and the way I've continued to grow. This is what I want this church to be about. Yeah. Is, is creating a safe place for people to ask questions about God. Hmm. Um, ask hard questions. Yeah. And I think what's important is that, um, it may not always be safe. I get that. It may not always be safe because sometimes there aren't safe questions. There aren't safe answers. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then at the same time, we don't always have the answers either. Right. right? There's no, right. there is more uncertainty that we need to be, mm. um, maybe comfortable is not the right word, but we need to get used to a little bit of discomfort right. and uncertainty more so. And certainly the pandemic has, forced us to contend with that absolutely um, and now we're trying to figure out okay well the whole world's uncomfortable and pastors we're all uncomfortable how can we do some cool stuff in yep. this time yep it's been a, a, a real idle crumbling time absolutely i think in a lot of ways yeah 
whether it's you know whatever whatever your idol is is probably taking a hit yeah really heavy one yeah absolutely Uh, but again there's if 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 god is real if christ was who he said he was if he if he did what he did then like when you talk about risk like what what's really the risk right you know or when you talk about struggle like uh, what's really the struggle though like what what is it what is it that can go on that doesn't like you're never getting further right from christ that's right you can't yeah like you're only getting close like chronologically if only you're getting closer yeah but these experiences aren't they they don't make anybody they don't define anything just part of the part of the journey i was talking about that last night just about my own calling in a similar way like you want to know what's going to happen like i want to plan it out i want to have an algorithm broken down by date i want to know everything but there's also like this really cool magical thing of actually not knowing because i i look at it like when you see the the uh archaeologists that excavate bones how they just get the brush right and they don't know what it is yet right i know i have a bone and they're just sweeping the dust away they didn't bury it right they didn't make the thing that they're burying they didn't even put the dirt there that it's buried under but they get to sit there and just brush by brush figure out what it is that's right and so i'm trying to i'm trying to move into that spot of like just stop (laughs) just sit there and brush like that's all you gotta do yeah just today just you get to discover what the plan is you get to discover what god's doing and discover who he is and all this little bit at a time but i think one of the hardest disciplines like for a christian to do is like to be in that time of fret and worry and confusion and but but still say thanks god yeah like I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're doing it. <laughs> and it feels bad right now. <laughs> but yeah, to thank him in advance for for that which he's teaching you through struggle currently. That's that's varsity level. That's uh, right. Spiritual maturity. Right. I don't know if I'm there yet. <laughs> and I think you said something important because it is about I, I've been thinking about this word. I think a friend of mine used it. Um excavate. Yeah. Like digging. Right. Like you're trying to dig something out. And I think we all just want to be done. Right. Like just to finish it and then not have to do it anymore. Right. But it's it's this kind of continual excavation of of digging out. You're never done. You're never done. Yeah. And there's a there's a joy. I mean there's obviously tension and worry that go with it, but there's a joy in being able to just keep digging. Yeah, the the journey. It's huge. Yeah, if only, if only I could go back and tell myself that. Although I'm an idiot now compared to me 20 years from this. I wish I could come back and tell me now what I know in the future. Sometimes I think right. I was smarter back then, too. Though. You know, like, I thought I was. I feel like I lost some brain cells along the way. And definitely less energy. Yeah. Definitely more of a go-getter in, the year, in years past. That's okay. You make up for the energy with wisdom. You don't waste a lot of energy just oh, spinning man. around. <laughs> I At wish. least not as much, maybe. I wish. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then, uh, what's next then? Like, what are you, what are you looking forward to church wise, life wise? Like, what are you, that, that's the question. I ask everybody like kind of the same yeah. few questions towards the end. And yeah. They're just like, like, what are you, what are you learning now that maybe you wish you knew <laughs> before? What's he teaching you? I think one thing I'm learning is that I don't have to do anything dramatic, but the process, and yet the process of waking up each day and doing one thing or some small things over and over can have a huge impact. Mm. Mm. Cumulative long haul. Right. Exactly. Impact. Exactly. So just even, I mean, this mm. is more abstract, but even just the act of trusting God yeah. in some simple things every day is more significant than like planning a revival meeting, let's say, <laughs> with thousands of people, you know? Yeah. There's something about the um, those seemingly insignificant things that over time mm. make a big difference. And I mean that in a lot of different ways, even yeah. just like um, being a dad or yeah. being a husband or meeting with guys, just the showing up, um, showing up each day to send a tech to, you know, to check in, to send a text, to do something together. Um, those things build up over time hmm. and not to disparage those little things that build up over time. See, that's wisdom right there that's good. that's wisdom yeah the the quick stuff is exciting it's flashy yes. it's great boom yes. wow my yes. life changed i'm baptized yes but then yeah that that long slow investment exactly there's there's fruit there exactly you just have to stick around long enough to see it that's right pray for the eyes to see it that's right Hey, yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. This is great. Yeah. This is fun. I get to see your world. <laughs> it's a weird world. I, I live in a weird, weird life. Don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be changing, though. Yeah. It's uh, going to be upended. Upended at all, in all the ways that I've been asking God to upend it and all the mystery that comes along with it yeah. and all the weirdness that goes with it. Like, that, that's just like I was saying. Like, I don't know what the challenges are going to be right but i know that it's all part of the, the the scheme right the process we'll see what what we dig up <laughs> what what are what are you most excited about gosh um sharing life mm. yeah because I've I've done it uh, alone for a long, long time. I've been single for eighteen something years, mm. and uh, I think you, you know, I I love being in community. I love my church family. You know, I love going there, and there's hundreds of people everywhere, and you know, I've got 
high schoolers that I mentor and I, I see them as kids and, and, you know, there's so much excitement and activity. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I would come here and there's no one to be like, guess what happened today? Yeah. Celebrate with you or like weep with you or dream or, or hold your feet. You know, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm no good. I can't do anything. I'm stuck here with my own thoughts, you know, in the silence. Right. And I think that, that, that part of a, of a gospel centered, just godly marriage is like really exciting to me to share all that, you know? Yeah. Among other things, but that's, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Man, that's exciting. It'll be fun. I, I, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the struggles that go with it. That's right. Let's go. That's right. I'm down. Let's do it. It's what I've been asking him for. Yep. So let's go. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. Thanks for coming, man. This was great. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what, uh, Quicksilver Church, uh, what becomes. Should be interesting. Yeah. Should be scary. Hard. Yeah. Uh, don't believe the, the, the enemy's lies. He's a Mm. jerk. Mm. (laughs) We all know that. What you're doing matters. Mm. Um, you won't really know how much until you meet Jesus. He'll tell you. Mm. But keep digging. Mm. That's yeah. right. Keep digging. That's great. All right, That's man. Right. Thank you. Let's shut it down. Here we go. Woo. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the Great Stories Podcast. Uh, what a great conversation. Uh, it's great to catch up with Fred. And uh, I've, I'm genuinely excited to see what happens down there at Quicksilver Church. Should be really cool. Uh, So with that, uh, again, if you like what you heard, uh, you can support the show most by sharing it, uh, giving it a thumbs up, giving it a like, giving it a comment, all those kind of things. You can support it financially if you would like. Go into patreon.com to search for the whole name. Uh, You can also find the show, I don't know how you're listening to it, but you can find it. It's on Spotify, it's on Stitcher, it's on Apple Podcasts, actually on YouTube also, just the audio is there. All those areas, you can listen to it. There's uh, 30-something other episodes, you can go back in time, all that. But there's one thing we need to talk about, is that you have not come on the podcast. Well, some of you listening might have, but most of you have not. So call me, uh, text me, send me an email. Uh, comment on the Facebook. Somehow, get in touch with me. You can shoot me an email also at thegreatstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Come on the show. There's a thousand people out there who will resonate with your story. They just haven't heard it yet. So come on. Come on the show. Talk to me. You'll love it. It's not as bad as you think. Let's go. Thanks for listening to me. Well, hello, you're still listening.
good job. You're doing as you're told. You found a little nugget at the end of this that I like to do. And uh, I, what I have on my mind is that I, I just proposed uh, marriage to a, a, a person, a woman, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, so I, I just think everyone loves to hear the story of just, how did you do it? How did you do it? So I'm going to tell you all how I did it. This is great. We're just going to totally have an overshare moment right now. It's wonderful. It's personal, but it's beautiful. Um, so, so I have this uh, this wonderful gal that I've been uh, getting to know in in so many wonderful ways over the last uh, most of the last year, and uh, we had this trip planned uh, to go to Hawaii with her parents, her niece and nephew, and uh, her and I. And they actually planned that without me, but it got pushed and pushed and pushed. And then I came along and they're like, you should come too. I'm like, okay. And we, we've been going through the pre-engagement counseling with the church and, uh, you know, just very openly like, yeah, I, this is, this is somebody I'm very, very much interested in marrying. And we both feel the same way. Uh, no doubt. And either of my minds like where this is going. So she knew uh, at some point that this was coming as we just finished up the pre-engagement counseling. And and the next step after that is, of course, engagement. (laughs) So uh, I went and picked myself or picked herself up a ring. And uh, the plan was to actually ask her in Hawaii uh, with her family there and everything. And uh, a few things needed to happen before like that was possible because... uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of a more traditional person and I, I really believe in like that respect to her parents and especially her dad. And I wanted to just personally, you know, sit down with him and just explain to him how, how excited I am to be, uh, the Christ figure, uh, in this relationship and, and just what dying to self means and, and how that, that sacrificial leadership that Christ displayed is what I aspire to do and just how, how I would be so blessed if I could marry her. And, and, uh, of course, so I made it, made a trip out there and I did it, uh, and I did it sneakily. So I told her I was going somewhere, but didn't tell her where I was going or for how long or anything like that. So she didn't know what was going on. I just told her like, don't try to figure it out. It's more fun if you just don't. <laughs> so, I went out and I had had dinner with her parents and and I kind of spun that whole thing up and I asked them like, hey, can I? Can I I'd love to marry your daughter, like with your blessing. And the, they gave a resounding yes, two thumbs up. Her dad cried; it was great. And um, so the second question I had for them was like, can I ask her in Hawaii? And they were like, oh, that'd be so great. Yes, let's do it. So leading up to the trip, we kind of colluded here and there and sent some texts back and forth as we're talking about what we're going to do on what day. And I decided I wanted to do it fairly early on in the trip, just so that one, just to get the nerves out of the way about it, because it's always, you know, it's an exciting thing. And two, because then we get to like have like five more days in Hawaii as an engaged couple. Like how cool is that? So, uh, yeah, it looked like the second day we were there, we were going to be taking some hikes out in nature. And, and, of course, the whole place is gorgeous, so you can't point a camera without hitting something great. So I figured we would go out on the hikes, and then we would, uh, at some point, probably stumble across a good spot for uh, photo ops and a little drop in the knee and all that business. Uh, so we we started cruising around. And, oh, and, and well, okay, so the, the evening before, I, I kind of wanted to, like, make sure... Uh, 
that that she liked the pictures that we were going to take while we were doing this thing. So I suggested to her like, hey, like your dad always has his camera with him. We're going to be hiking around the woods and or the jungle, you know, in Hawaii. I think it'd be great. Like wear something cute. We could take some great pictures. She's like, okay, And then uh, easy. So then we're out there. We're hiking around. And we go we go into this like just heavily jungled, like literally jungle, just without the tigers and stuff. And uh, it, it kind of opens up onto this gorgeous like rock bluff overlooking the beach that's right there. And just these palm trees and giant leaves on these. It's just gorgeous spot. And her niece and nephew sort of got ahead. So she was a little bit ahead and her parents were a little bit behind. And that's when I initiated the go sign. And the go sign was me taking out my phone, flipping the video on and handing it to her mom to be the official videographer for the event. And her dad's always got his camera out anyway, so that didn't look suspicious at all. And so then as we as we came up, you know, kind of up into this little area, there's this flat spot. And I, I told her, like, hey, uh, we should uh, we should take some pictures right here. And at that point, like her mom is videoing and her dad's starting to snap pictures. And she still had no idea what was going on. So we we stand there and we're kind of, uh, you know, looking towards the cameras. And, okay, this is our, yeah, we can take pictures here. Okay, look good. And then I turned to her and I said, I said, hey, uh, you know, this isn't just a photo shoot. Uh, it's happening. And she's like, huh? Like, what? I said, I'm doing it. She's like, No. No, like not as in no, like no, I don't want to marry you, but no as in like no way. Like how is this? And then she's looking at, at her parents and they're like, you know, obviously documenting the, this thing and she figures out what's happening. And so I, I just, I told her like, you know, I love you and it's been so much joy getting to know you over the last, you know, uh, almost 10 months or so. And uh, I just said, I, I think it's time. Like, I have a question for you. So I reached in the pocket, and I pulled out the ring, and I got down on the knee, right there on the volcanic rock, with the waves crashing and the wind blowing and the birds chirping and palm trees palming, and it was great. And I looked at her, and I, I said uh, a quote from Rocky One. I asked her if she wouldn't mind marrying me too much. Now, that might sound cheesy to you or dorky, but I thought it was hilarious, and she said yes, so, <laughs> uh, she actually didn't say yes, she just put out her hand, <laughs> and I said, is that a yes, she's like, yes, and then, you know, we hugged, and I got a little teary-eyed, and, uh, you know, her, her parents are taking pictures and video, and, uh, the cool part is her niece and nephew came up afterward, and, uh, they kind of looked around, like, what's happening, like, what's going on, like, this is odd, and uh, then she showed them her hand, and, and they were just ecstatic about it. They're, uh, I think, uh, 9 and 11 years old. And then I asked them, like, hey, you guys, can I be your uncle? Uh, they hugged me. It was The whole thing was beautiful. It was great. Everybody was a little glassy-eyed, and that's how it should be. Uh, in any case, there's the story of the proposal. That's how it went down. And then we had five more days to enjoy being engaged in Hawaii. How great is that? It doesn't get better. So, uh, those of you who are of the praying mind, uh, yeah, please pray for my relationship. I, I would appreciate that. Just that uh, that I would not forget that initial mission, that goal, the the driving force behind the relationship is to bring 
glory to God in greater ways together than we could apart. That's the goal. So let's go.